Hi there, guys, and welcome to episode four of the SDR Disco Call podcast. Today's guest is Corey Lindsay. He is a BDR from G2 Crowd. He's been in the role for about a year, and we're going to be learning about his roller coaster journey from finance into sales, when he got flown out to the US for his onboarding experience, and how he best learns, the importance of the human connection, and how to get feedback from your prospects and also provide value. So how does the SDR Disco Call podcast work? Well, it's actually a discovery call, hence the name. And every Tuesday at 8am, we're going to have a brand new SDR for 30 minutes and an agenda of introductions, their SDR story, and three key takeaways that they've learned to share with other SDRs. So with that in mind, let's begin. So guys, I want to introduce uh, our next guest. This is Corey Lindsay from G2 Crowd. Um, me and Corey were introduced via a mutual friend uh, from Ty. So Ty, thanks if you're listening in. We were having a dinner and she said, Neil, I've got this great BDR that I think you should definitely connect with. He's got a cool story. Uh, and that came about to a meeting during lockdown. And I was completely blown away by Corey's story because it reminded me of some parts of my own. But uh, Corey, how are you doing? And welcome to the uh, SDR Disco Call podcast. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, nice Monday morning, getting the week nice and started. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a busy one already, despite lockdown. <laughs> Love it. So Corey, um, if you could please let the listeners know who are you, kind of what you're doing and where do you work? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, Corey, um, otherwise, C-O-I-N-T-I-N on LinkedIn. It's not the, the easiest name to pronounce. Um, and I am one of the BDRs, one of the two BDRs here at G2. Um, so in terms of who G2 is, effectively the, the trust pilot, trip advisor, or the Yelp of, of B2B software. Um, in terms of my role, um, I'm effectively just helping B2B software marketers and salespeople more precisely and proactively go after their target audience, quite simply. Nice. Thank you, sir. And as, as, as I kind of found out uh, when we had our initial discussion, you're kind of wearing a lot of hats. You've been helping out the, the G2 team, working with your counterparts and including Ty. Kind of what's your day-to-day -day look like, Corey? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So um, for a bit of context, so here at G2, particularly in the EMEA team, uh, where there's two of us right now, um, we do both inbound and outbound. So um, kind of dealing with all the, the branding and all the marketing efforts that just brings in a lot of stuff, um, good and bad. Um, and then I guess that's kind of the structure of my day. Um, as I'm sure lots of people here on this call who will be doing inbound, they, they kind of know that that's the priority. You have to be quick. You have to be on the ball when you respond to those inbound requests. So that very much is the, the kind of the, the structure of my day, the skeleton. Um, and then whenever I find free time, five minutes, even one minute, that's, uh, anything to do with who I want to talk to rather than who wants to talk to me. So that's the outbound side, whether that's calling, emailing, LinkedIn, touching, or even actually just being more strategic. So days, I guess the short answer is days aren't always the same. In fact, they're very rarely the same. <laughs> it's often uh, just structured around what's happening on the inbound and then where I can find time elsewhere. So a very busy uh, all-round individual. That So you're doing both the inbound work, you're also helping out with the outbound work. Um, and you're doing a lot of other extracurricular things. So for, for context, when I came across your LinkedIn profile, there were some really cool things where you had done webinars such as filling the funnel, personalizing the inner machine. How did you, as a kind of like a BDR role, get drop into these sort of webinars and how, how did those come about? So yeah, an interesting one. Um, 
not entirely sure how the initial touch point happened. Um, I got reached out to for both of those, actually. Um, so a lot of what I do is very much just reaching out and being very active on, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, not just from a prospecting side. I think the prospecting side, I've definitely got to improve from. Um, but just from a personal branding perspective. Um, so a lot of that and uh, is very much what I look at trying to do. So kind of uh, being a bit more engaged, helping out some of the the other kind of up and coming BDR who may not have had as much kind of fortune as myself being surrounded with such kind of great uh, kind of up and coming salespeople to kind of learn from. So really kind of taking that and passing it on. And to be honest with you, a little bit of, of what I'm doing today to try and help uh, pass on that message. So I guess that's kind of how I initially got involved with with those types of podcasts. Um, and actually one of which is, is more of a webinar. I love it. And I think uh, you you raise a really important piece here, which is around kind of like your brand awareness of you as a person, as a BDR in the current role, looking to help others. I've seen it with a lot of people, they come into this role of being an SDR, they think it's just, you know, calling, booking meetings, but there is so much more to it. Kind of what insights are you like looking to share with the other future BDRs and SDRs out there, Corey? Wow, um, <laughs> big question. Um <laughs> I think kind of what you touched upon there, one of the things that frustrates me the most within the SDR world um, is the idea of just numbers and activity. Will, and it's kind of a numbers game, which, yes, I agree to, to an extent. But I think one of the ways that I view the SDR role is very much as a sniper as opposed to kind of a machine gun type mm. person. Um, like, yes, it's always going to be a numbers game. Yes, if you only reach out to five people in a week, don't expect 10 meetings. Um, <laughs> But if you're reaching out to 100 people, then you might be able to expect more. But it's very much, um, if I was to kind of give one piece of advice to to any BDR who's just starting, it's just learn. Learn who you're trying to talk to, whether that's structured by your company already or whether you're in, um, I guess, the, the difficult but exciting position of being in a really new company whereby there's no structure of this. Find out. Talk to your customers as a BDR. That's one thing which I think BDRs don't do enough of. It's really talking to the customers and being on the flip side of the, of the sales process as well. But for you, like in G2 crowd, like who are the type of the personas you're reaching out to and how did you learn about their world? Yeah, so this is, a, this is an interesting one. Um, <laughs> the list is, is, is pretty large. So um, initially, it's a marketing persona focused <laughs> on the, the branding of Basically, how does their company look, quite simply, um, to, to, obviously to their prospective buyers, to their hopefully future customers. Um, so primarily, it's those types of people. But um, I guess the fun aspect, and which also helps me from a, a multi-threading perspective, is that almost every aspect of marketing can be involved, from the market <laughs> generation, lead generation, to content marketing, whatnot, as well, even a sales team. Even BDRs, SDRs typically are, are working with us all the way to customer success. But to kind of ask your question in terms of how do I um, how do I go about learning about them? Um, I guess there's two main things. So one of which I'm fortunate to have a very, very strong product marketing team here at G2. Um, mm-hmm. They've done a lot of the, the kind of the skeletal work, the basic work for me as to who are these types of people? What do they typically care about? Um, which is very much a good foundation. Um, one of the things which I didn't do early enough is engage directly with clients. Um, so me, myself, talking to clients. Mm-hmm. Again, as a BDR role, unless you're doing a, a full cycle BDR role, which some people do, I don't think it's very common, but doing all the way until close, um, you're very much just that first step. And then it's, it's up to you to kind of extend yourself throughout. 
Um, so what I've been trying to do is even actually sitting in on, on customer calls, which I had a couple of times uh, about a month ago, two months ago now, um, and actually just having five, 10 minutes just to ask them, hey, why on earth did you buy our, our solution? Like mm. what makes it even vaguely relevant to you and what you're trying to do? Yeah. Um, almost try and get them to sell it back to me. <laughs> just kind of hear, hear what they think, how they would sell my product. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of one big element. And um, I think another cool element was, so this was back in, I guess, kind of the start of, of my BDR role, kind of maybe four four months in when you're kind of just starting to, to really understand how to do this job at all. Um, <laughs> it's very much from just being in um, kind of conferences, conferences, kind of trade shows, things like that. Um, with G2 as well, part of what we do is help vendors collect reviews. And that can be in person with kind of mm-hmm. uh, review booths. Um, lucky enough to do two of them uh, kind of abroad. And again, when you're very much just face-to-face with that customer, you start to understand how they start to use your solution, um, which then gives you a very good understanding of, of why they use it in the first place. Again, I would always say ask them explicitly as well, just to get that uh, mm-hmm. kind of firmly in. But I guess yeah, that's kind of how I've gone about trying to, to understand what they care about in short. I love it. I love it. I really like both of those examples. So like the first one <laughs> where you're kind of asking the prospect or customer to sell back yeah. what you do. Uh, and I think this is a really good way because A, you can understand was the sales process any good? Did they actually get what they were buying and did they understand it fully? But I think it's really nice to hear it from their own words because not only are they going to pitch the platform, they're going to give you the why did they buy it and yeah. kind of how is it going to help them. And I think if you can take those snippets and use it with future prospects or customers that you're going to talk to, I think that's really great. Um, And then equally, meeting prospects at trade shows and conferences and exhibitions. um, I think meeting people face-to-face to to kind of see how they do stuff and how do they gauge feedback, that's really interesting. And obviously with the new kind of world that we're in, Corey, like with those exhibitions and conferences, I know a lot of things are going digital now. How are you like gaining feedback like with your prospects or customers today? So I think right now, one of the main things that I would say has changed since kind of the entire lockdown thing is very much less about selling and more about understanding. Mm-hmm. I think it's always been that way anyway, but the emphasis has definitely been been, been put onto that um, recently. So a lot of what I do now is not necessarily asking for meetings, asking for sales, things like that. And I guess a lot of, it would, a lot of this would have come with experience as well, but more about understanding where a buyer is within their entire, not even just buyer journey, but company journey. Um, the reason I don't use buyer journeys because typically there isn't one that exists until I come along. We haven't exactly got a, <laughs> um, a product which replaces anything. It's kind of just an add-on to, to various other things. Yeah. Um, but it's understanding kind of those priorities at that point, regardless of what my solution is. If you can build that trust with, with prospects um, early on, just to see, hey, look, this is ever going to be relevant to you, let alone if it's relevant to you now. Um, mm. That typically gives me a good understanding now, at least, what they care about, how, how they're going about their business and how G2 could, if now then, tick, 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 great, I'll, I'll, I'll leverage that. But otherwise, yeah. in a month's time, two months' time, how it could potentially be relevant. Um, whereas I guess with a trade show, things like that, you'll be able to do that a lot easier because it's very much just a face-to-face conversation. You're just there saying, having a, a normal conversation and asking about their priorities, how their business is going. Um, much easier to understand priorities at that point. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the main channels which I'm using a lot of, and again, probably not enough of even, uh, is LinkedIn right now. Mm. LinkedIn is definitely the new trade show from a from a connecting point of view. Don't know what you think, Neil. 
Dude, I 100% agree with you. If it wasn't for LinkedIn, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I think like when I used to use LinkedIn way back when I first started as a tele sales rep, um, I remember after every uh, call that I had, a cold call, I would go straight onto LinkedIn and connect with that person. Now, my connection message was quite under par back then. Uh, yeah. It was just a case of, hey, we spoke, I'd love to connect. I didn't even give any sort of context as to why. But the the more the years progressed and kind of when I got into Showpad, the, the way that I went into it was, Corey, lovely to speak today. I'd love to share more uh, insights and techniques from within sales enablement via my network because I'd always connect with lots of people. And then I think over time, you're able to then connect dot to dots, introduce people to each other, help them out. And I really love that thing where you say you're looking to learn about kind of what's what's going on in their world. What are they trying to achieve? Even if it's not looking to buy a solution, you just kind of want to understand their world better. And then if you think, okay, this could be a fit, great, I can put you into the sales cycle. If not, <clears throat> I can then still share best practices and updates through my network. And I see that you're highly engaged on LinkedIn and you really did stand out. So I think well done and valiant effort. I think, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, do more. We can never be doing uh, too much. Um, but that kind of also, I wanted to like where you said like uh, with your journey of kind of like getting into this BDR role, being somebody quite active on social selling and on LinkedIn, like what was life like before sales for you, Corey? Like what was your journey before jumping into sales? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think everyone I've spoken to in sales never really, well, at least the vast majority, never thought they'd end up in sales. <laughs> and it's definitely no different from me. Um, so for background, I kind of did um, so a degree called human biosciences. Um, although it's quite unique, it very much is what it says on the tin. It's human biology. Um, and only is that because of my enjoyment of biology and enjoyment of sport. And had never really thought too much about career side in terms of going into a human biology specific career. Um, so again, I was going through the classic kind of university stage of understanding what do I maybe want to go into. First place to go to is kind of family, see what they're doing, understand their world. And for me, that was that was finance. So um, end up going through a variety of work experiences, different financial companies and Although at the time I thought I loved it and I thought, you know what, this is, this is the place to be. Mm -hmm. Very quickly realized that what I enjoyed was the, the people and how they went about their jobs as mm -hmm. opposed to the actual job itself. Um, took me a bit of time to about a year of work experience to understand that finance, at least in my eyes, is, is quite draining and dull. <laughs> um, I'm glad I kind of uh, steered slightly away from that. But, I mean, one of the main things was one of my work experiences when I came across the one of the retail sales team for this finance company. Um, they were the ones who, I guess, initially inspired me to, to what a sales role can be, as mm -hmm. opposed to the negative connotation that I think everyone knows of. Um, about just being pushy and just there to make our next commission check and never um, exactly it's something which has always been around i always considered salespeople like that before i became one um so i'm very much guilty in that boat um but yeah that's kind of how i initially got into sales as an option um and then although i was always at this point going to go for a bit of a year out and just take things a bit slower after university um, got caught up with recruiters, as a lot of people do as well. So um, the specific company I um, actually engaged with was one of the few, in fact, because they had a bit of a, again, a personal approach as opposed to pitching me straight away what their job yeah. is they're trying to offer me. They never actually offered me a job until about two weeks later, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, so that's how I eventually got into kind of the, the sales world as such, kind of my door in. Um, 
and then again G2 is G2 is the the first kind of chapter of this story which which I'm looking forward to and again just one year in about 13 months in but um very exciting story so far love it mate absolutely love it and kind of uh that element of working in finance and realizing it wasn't kind of where you wanted to go and yeah. you've got an insight into kind of the the potential of sales um, you said an interesting piece here is that you really like the human connection and the human element of it as well. Would you mind expanding on that a bit? Like, what what does that mean to you, the human connection? Yeah, so kind of taking that a step back into when I was considering kind of career options back in again university time, as everyone begins to wonder, univers well begins to realize university doesn't last forever. Um, mm. It was always going to be initially consultancy is kind of where I could see myself going into again at a very broad level um and the main reason for that was ha having a, a measurable and tangible impact on a business mm -hmm. um i could always see myself a little bit more into the b2b space and the b2c space um from a kind of an impact perspective um so there's all that consultancy element which again is very people focused very much helping people talk to people understanding their world their problems um and then helping their business um what I quickly understood, even before getting my first sales role, um, was that sales and consultancy are basically the same thing. <laughs> At least they should be if you're a good salesperson. Yeah. Um, despite the kind of the the vast, vast difference in kind of social connotation of one being great and one of being awful, quite frankly. Mm. Um, so that aspect kind of is what got me into kind of the sales role as a whole, kind of that that people person. I guess to answer your question, what what is that people-focused element to me? Yeah. Um, it's more just the enjoyment of and the satisfaction of being able to, to say that, hey, look, I actually helped this person. Mm. Just just personally, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking for gratification as someone to, to kind of throw kind of confetti over me and say, hey, look, this guy's <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah. Having that kind of that understanding that you can take, I mean, in this kind of context, a prospect from point A to point B with a, a really measurable impact. And that is, that is generally due to initial conversation, which I may have got told and told to kind of bugger off at the start. And eventually they came back <laughs> and said, oh, actually, let's have a chat. And now, would you know, five months later, they're a customer and they're having great success. Mm. That for me is, is very rewarding. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Uh, I can 100% relate to that because um, I think when we initially spoke uh, earlier this year, I went through a very similar journey to yourself where I used to work in a finance team and then that got quite boring for me. So I wanted mm. to jump into sales. And yeah, I loved helping people, making a difference to your point, making an impact. And I think over the years, as I've realized, it's not just selling a solution, not just making a paycheck, actually making a difference to uh, somebody who's in a role within their businesses, making uh, a positive uh, impact and change. And I can 100% agree with speaking to that prospect where they say, no, not interested, slam the phone down. And then yeah. maybe a few years later or even a couple of months later, I said, actually, do you know what, Corey, this might be able to help us. Do you have 15 minutes later this week just to, for a quick chat? And that's rewarding in itself where you're not forcing people into something but you're trying to give a, a guided selling approach as to this could help you out and we do have a solution, but it's when it's right for you. Um, I, think one of the, I think one of the greatest points to add to that quickly is, is when they, and this might be relevant for a lot of the new BDRs, who, new BDRs, STRs who will be listening to this, when that prospect does come back one week, two weeks, two months, even actually five, six months I've had, um, to you and says, hey, look, 
still considering this? Let's have a chat. Um, I feel like it gives us as sales people a lot more leverage. Mm. To actually almost tell them no and kind of throw their reasons back at them. and said, hey, look, no, you said that um, it was the wrong time because you didn't have the right people in place. You had no bandwidth. You had kind of list it, list it, list it. Um, and that gives, again, almost a chance for them to sell it back to you and say, hey, look, no, I, we do need a conversation because that's changed because of X, Y, Z. Um, from my experience, that's then literally all your, all your notes done for the account executive. <laughs> they basically <laughs> listed out all their kind of new pain points, what's changed, why they need a conversation now. And then you can, you can take that and almost do the qualification um, for email at that point. 100% agree, mate. I think um, in the early days, <laughs> when, you have, when you have that prospect who comes back and you're like, yeah, I told you so. I knew you'd be coming back at some point. It's that element of trying to keep humble about it. and you just never, saying, you yeah. never get too smug. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think to your point, you, you pointed out something very interesting. And it's a question I used to ask prospects of like, look, more than happy to help. We can definitely have a, a chat. Just curious to know what's changed. And they can then come to you and say, well, we did try it with this vendor or we tried to build it internally. It didn't really work out. Uh, now this is what we're looking for. And we now actually have real requirements. We actually have real use cases. So I think it's always nice um, when somebody tells you no initially to give them advice of what to look for, what is in a good solution, what's really going to help them out. Um, and to your point, if they come back with all those requirements exactly, you're like, yeah. We are the right people, right. and I'm happy yeah. to introduce you to uh, Ty or you know the account executive that's yeah, going to kind exactly. of run you through the sales cycle. Um, but also, like with other SDRs and kind of coming into this role and like giving tips, etc. A lot of us we run through by working with recruiters, agencies where we get training, etc. What was your experience of moving from finance, meeting with that agency and company, and kind of getting into G two? What was that like, Corey? Um, so you're talking more about the the actual process of getting into an SDR role or more the transition of what I had to do from a job both. perspective? If, both. if you can share both, I think yeah, that would be sure. super valuable. Um, so I guess first one in terms of the transition to from that finance world to the sales world, I guess. Um, very smooth, first of all. Um, there wasn't, again, when I say I was in the finance world, it's very much more from like a, a work experience perspective. I never had a, like a full-time job as such. Um, one thing that I realized, um, <laughs> maybe just from my personal experience, not generalizing and stereotyping every finance person, but <laughs> salespeople are a bit more fun, <laughs> um, at least from my experience. Um, whereas the, the corporate world is obviously very reg regulated. And again, part of that would be the finance world as well. Um, a lot of it is, is just so structured. It's very, uh, if you don't do this, you can't do this. And you've got to go to your manager to, to to get a sign off on on changing the colored pen um something ridiculous <laughs> like that and that entire world at the time was the only kind of work world i knew of um mm. so when i first came into the this kind of the tech sales world and this is even before even accepting my role at g2 kind of even at the start of the even the process with the recruiter i was with um, and even the, the initial interviews i was with with among other companies just understanding that there's a lot more freedom I think a, part, a lot of this will be not just with the sales role in itself, but just the, the startup element of, mm. of the companies with which I was interviewing and, and I'm now working with. Um, the idea that if I completely screw up, it's actually fine. If mm. anything, um, and G2 is actually really good at this, um, they encourage it, I'd say, at least from, from what I understand from it. They encourage me to, to go out there and fail 
um, to then, if I don't do it myself, encourage me to, to reflect. I think reflecting is probably the biggest thing as, as a new SDR. And one thing which I definitely should have done a lot more at the start. Um, mm. So quick tip to all you, all you new guys that you guys are <laughs> listening there. Um, so from that perspective, yeah, into, from the transition from the kind of the, the finance to sales, I think the biggest change was the corporate to startup, which mm. I found very refreshing. Um, hopefully that answers roughly your question that you are, you're looking to get. From. Yeah. Hundred percent, and I think um, one thing I have noticed, um, kind of as a consultant trainer, is I am speaking to a lot more corporate companies that are trying to mm. get into that sort of startup vibe, where they're moving away from processes, bureaucracy, and things which are quite rigid, and they're trying to give more flexibility to the team. And that element that I'm so happy to hear that you have a duty cred where you're encouraged to fail and mess up, and you know make mistakes, experiment, kind of learn your groove. Um, I think it's really important. And for, for what would you say to those new SDRs who are scared of failing? Like, how how did you feel when somebody said it's all right to mess up, Corey? Don't worry about it. How how did that feel for you? So it's interesting. Actually, I don't think I've actually ever been told explicitly, "Hey, look, you're allowed to fail." I think it's very much um, just ingrained in the company. There's just never that repercussion or that fear of repercussion if you screw up. Um, Again, just from my experience, I guess the to answer that first bit of the question, what would you say to someone who's about to fail or, or, or scared of failing? I mean, I don't think it ever gets um, it ever gets easy to take something that's that's hard. I mean, from the first, I think the first prospecting email I ever sent, I got sent back an email twice as long from a prospect telling me why I was not adequate as a salesperson. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pretty, pretty tough to, to get, especially in, I think it was my first week or second week of work. Um, one of my Jeez. first emails I'd ever sent out. So um, again, stories behind that of why kind of the US type sales language doesn't always work in EMEA. Um, yeah. found, that out, found that out the hard way. Um, <laughs> in terms of the negative uh, elements whereby you're getting told, hey, you're failing or you've done something really wrong. I'd take it much more as a, again, easier said than done, right? But as a feedback loop whereby if you just stop and think, they're obviously thinking that for a reason. You've obviously mm. done something which is not quite right. Otherwise, they wouldn't be saying that you've, you've failed or, or something wouldn't be wrong, quite simply. Um, so having that self-awareness to actually understand, okay, well, there's something that's not happened or something that has happened that shouldn't have happened. Um, and then, again, if you're feeling comfortable actually asking your prospects, hey, look, I've, clearly, I've clearly missed the mark here. Something's clearly not working at all based on what I've mentioned. Do you mind sharing? Um, that can go two ways. That can be very much a constructive bit of feedback if the person is very willing to, to help you grow as an individual. Um, and if that is the case, then you build a lot of trust. And it might just be the fact that you've actually just missed the mark in terms of your, your selling kind of pitch and things like that, in which case you've probably got a sales opportunity in three, four months' time if it's actually a genuinely good prospect. Uh, I guess the other way that it could go is that the prospect then goes all the way down kind of ranting on about how you're an awful human being and <laughs> I, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen it probably will happen at least yeah. once in, in most people's lives um, a lot of that is just taking it with a pinch of salt um, I don't like using the term having hard skin um, mm. but there are elements of that which I think are very applicable to sales um, yeah. understanding why things are as they are why you might have failed in that way and then Based on that, with the context, which includes feedback from the prospect or the customer, whoever, 
making that judgment yourself as to what you can do better without taking everything necessarily to heart, which again, easier said than done. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it all narrows down to the kind of the self-awareness, I'd say for me. Um, if you can really take that step back to understand why uh, from a personal perspective, then it can help you so much in the long run. Out of curiosity, how do you, in your kind of um, role, structure that? How do you keep on top of when to ask for feedback and when not to ask? Because I guess one of the things I'm always curious about is you could almost ask anyone for feedback about anything, almost every single conversation you have. How do you mm. prioritize that to see, okay, when can I have the, the most opportunity to learn from which conversations? I think that's a really, really good question. So I think in my world, um, if I'm training or if I'm consulting or if I'm helping somebody out as a manager, et cetera, sort of type role or coach, um, it's kind of like checking points where if we've started a new training, um, I'll ask them initially, like kind of what do they think about the training, kind of what we're about to learn. And then perhaps if we're in a two hour session midway through, I'll ask one of the students, like, how are you finding it? kind of what's it feel like to you? Are you getting any value out of this? Are you missing anything? And then towards the end of a session, I'll then ask him, okay, so based on what you thought initially when we first started out, how do you feel things about now? Like, what would you like to see more of? I'm continuously, I think feedback is a continuous process. Um, I think, (laughs) when is it not the right time? If obviously, uh, I'm I'm not going to say that I've gone into every training session and it's always gone perfectly swimmingly smooth, Um, sometimes I'll get reps that don't agree with what I do. And I always give the premise before every session that, look, what I'm about to train you or teach you on is just what it's worked for me. It doesn't work for everybody. And if at any point you disagree with it, then by all means, you don't have to follow it. But I'm always going to ask why aren't you uh, like following it or what, what is it about it that you don't agree with? And I'll hash that out with them. Uh, but sometimes I can tell that they may not be in the right frame of mind. They may not be in the right mood to do that. So I think with people, it's body language, you know, like kind of looking at their facial expressions. I think every time I step into a session, they always look at me like, who the hell is this, Neil? Why the hell is he coming to my company? I could have been doing a discovery call or, you know, doing a demo and like hitting towards my coat. Or why do I have to give him my time? And I think it's once I've gained that trust and I see a smile and somebody happy on the other side, that's what I'm asking for feedback because they're in a, a good place to either give it um, or sometimes for our email. I'll like uh, one or two students might reach out and say, Neil, that was a really great session. Thanks for, for arranging it. I'll then ask them, what is it about it that you liked? What stood out? And is there anything you could do, you would do differently if you were in my position? Does that answer your question, Corey? Yeah, definitely. No, it's interesting. No, I mean, I guess the, the premise of that was that, like I said, you could probably ask the feedback at all points, but I'm curious to hear that, yeah, the, the visual cues is what you go off predominantly, which makes sense, as opposed to necessarily um, kind of having strict uh, sh- kind of feedback time. So start, middle, and end, kind of being a bit mm-hmm. more flexible from that perspective. 100%, man. And um, so obviously, like with you going into this job as a BDR at G2, so you've kind of made the decision to move from finance, you realize that uh, salespeople are a hell of a lot more fun, and you kind of decided to move forward with G2. Like, What was those first couple of months like, Uh, like learning a new way, a product, kind of a, a different world of SaaS and startup? What was that experience like for you, Corey? Yeah, well, um, so I had no idea about, to be honest, even the SDR world existing before interviewing with, maybe a week before interviewing with G2. Um, I had no idea about kind of the wide world of B2B tech. Um, I'd never been to the US where we were HQ'd. 
Um, I never really properly worked um, in terms of a full-time job as opposed to just kind of work experience and, and understanding the workplace that way. So I had no real kind of dedicated expectations to my uh, day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And I guess that all became, I haven't got this to, I do have this <laughs> within a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> so to say it was very busy and borderline overwhelming is, yeah. is an understatement. Um, I'd say it's very exciting though. I mean, personally, I was always ready to to hit the working world. Um, it got to a point where when I was at university, I, uh, yes, it's always interesting. I picked the course. I don't regret that at all. But it got to a point whereby there was definitely something missing. I was taking a lot in. It was all very interesting. But I, I kind of struggled to understand where what I was learning was going to make an impact in the future of my life. And more importantly, where I was making an impact anywhere right now or mm-hmm. at that time. So at that point in university, I was definitely ready to move into the working world. So I guess a lot of what happened when I started G2 was just hella, hella exciting. <laughs> Not going to lie. I was, I was really buzzed about kind of having a job and, and actually go to the US, like I mentioned, where we kind of ha- well, I had a kind of a two-week onboarding period. Yeah. Um, again, not maybe not many of the, the future candidates we have will be as lucky to do that with, with our current <laughs> times. But um, again, a great experience because, I mean, one of the, this might be a question you were going to be asking later on from an onboarding perspective. Um, a lot of the onboarding was, was structured at G2. Yeah. Um, but the thing I found most, both interesting and valuable was just just talking to people, seeing what they, again, understanding their failures and their successes um, in their roles. And that's both at a, a BDR level, so people who even just joined a couple of weeks before me or even six, seven months before me, um, equally kind of valuable things to say. And then all the way up to taking time with kind of some of the key VPs within the company, just to hear what they have to say, where the direction the company is going from them. So. Um, I felt that that was one of the the biggest uh, kind of things for me from from that onboarding experience. And I guess a lot of that really um, participated to my overall kind of first three four months of the experience at G two of going from what the hell do I even sell, let alone <laughs> who do I sell it to, um, yeah. to then going to a point whereby I feel comfortable even just talking about my product, let alone selling it. I think was a, was a big part. Mm-hmm. So if I get it right, you're kind of you've gone out to the US for, uh, for two weeks for your onboarding to learn about product industry, etc. But you get an opportunity to speak to a lot of different parts of the business, so like from sales and other people that have just come in. Kind of what's their experiences? How have they won things? What have they learned from failures, etc. Um, and then obviously that helps build up your knowledge over time. And in the role that you're in now, uh, that you're doing, like how often are you speaking to to the rest of the org? And kind of what discussions are you having nowadays? Yeah, so I mean, just maybe just clarifying that bit before me, it's not as if I have necessarily set time with colleagues to kind of go through their experiences. I think a lot of, especially, the, especially as a BDR, a lot of what you should and probably have to do is just being a bit more proactive, taking mm. kind of your understanding into your own hands, um, which is exactly what I was trying to do when I was, when I was in the US. Um, in terms of what I do now, I mean, luckily, um, so even though we're just two of us here in the UK team uh, for the EMEA uh, region, um, as in from a BDR perspective, that is, there's a, a wide team of 10 or so in, in the US with a couple in, in, in India as well. So I still have um, regular meetings with those. I, I guess to an extent have a manager in the US. Um, mm-hmm. I take it more as like a mentor from that perspective. Um, so from that perspective, it's very much 
uh, yes, I've got a lot of contact with my, my colleagues in the US and in, in the APAC region um, from a development perspective. What I would say is that even without that, and again, depends on the company you're in, whether you're international or not, I think you should always be reaching out to, whether they're in your organization or not, to mm-hmm. people who you find genuinely interesting, genuinely valuable on mm. LinkedIn is a prime example. You're probably going to find the most amount of content, or at least I do personally. Um, and even just reaching out to those people, whether you spoke to them before or not. I mean, one thing which I found very surprising is that people are a lot more generous than you might think. Um, if you're just going to reach out to them, so if you're just going to reach out to them and ask them for a couple of questions on, hey, look, I saw you did X, Y, Z on a, on a podcast. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, mm. Some of them even take the time to have a quick call with you. To actually explain some of their their mindset, their mentality, or some of the the techniques they have, um, without necessarily um, being a prospect, some of them actually mm-hmm. were prospects. Not that they turned into anything <laughs> meaningful from a, a meetings perspective, but from a personal yeah. development perspective, it was great. I love that. I love that. I think yeah. Uh... To an extent, it is a really good way in terms of prospecting is when you're brushing people's ego because you're taking an interest in what they do, things they've done, and you're just basically asking for a peace of mind. And it's something I teach students. I said, the moment you can put somebody on a little bit of a pedestal to say, hey, I think you did great in the Filling the Funnel webinar. Uh, how did that come about? Like, what, what were you doing there? It can definitely bring people into a meeting. Uh, but equal, like you said, from a personal development point of view, when you're trying to learn about building your character, kind of what are great people doing? Um, and you said when you find people interesting. So my question to you, Corey, is like, what is it about somebody on LinkedIn that piques your interest? Great question. Um, wow, not when I thought about that much. Actually, I guess for me, it's it's very kind of very much like instinct to an extent. But breaking it down a little bit, I guess one of the things which I think is very important to a I guess sales, even a first working professional in general, is um, the idea of emotional intelligence. EQ, mm. which again, it, people talk about it all the time, um, but I think it's not something which is trained enough from a sales perspective. Mm. I feel like everyone always talks about how important it is, understanding prospects, things like that. Um, and then you go into a how to prospect, how to use LinkedIn, how to do emails, how to do calls, which is great kind of from a, a proactive technique. But end of the day, at least my belief is that anyone can do that eventually. Um, whereas the emotional side and the emotional understanding is not something which you can just kind of just get done quickly. Um, So roundabout way of answering your question. um, (laughs) A lot of what I do when I kind of see something interesting on LinkedIn, it's very much from a perspective. So seeing someone with a very unique perspective I've not seen before or with a um, a way of going about things. Mm -hmm. Whether it's sales or not, whether it's B2B technology or not, more often than not it is because again, that's just the type of people that I follow on on LinkedIn. but it's very much from a mindset perspective that, that, that kind of brings around that curiosity for me and then brings so much so that I can reach out to them and, and, and request potentially time, but just a bit more understanding from, from their mind, I guess, why they make those decisions and why they understand. Definitely. I think by showing your character, um, especially on your LinkedIn, because for a lot of us as SDRs, this is how we're reaching out to our prospects. We have to be interesting as well. So rather than just say we do an SDR job at this company, this is what our company does, but kind of like what do you do in that space? Why are you passionate about that space? What have you done to help other people outside of your space? And again, dude, when I came across your LinkedIn profile, I was like, wow, this dude really stands out. Appreciate it. I really want to get to, uh, to speak to him. Um, so I think for the listeners out there, like with your LinkedIn, if you you want people to connect with you and accept yeah, those requests, sure definitely think about it and 
highly recommend having a look at Corey Lindsay's profile LinkedIn to see how he's kind of got it all laid out. I think there's a, a lot of lessons to be learned there. Um, so obviously, uh, Corey, we've we've had a really good discussion. I would like to ask uh, for the listeners out there if there were three pieces or takeaways of information or tips that you'd love to give for anybody who's either just come into the role, they're still in their first year, what would those three pieces of advice you'd love to give? Well, um, so I think there's definitely one which is the biggest. Um, and I'll save that till last, actually. Um, <laughs> I'd say one which I definitely didn't do enough as a as an early stage rep is listen back to calls. So if you've got software like Gong, Chorus, Refract, um, kind of sales intelligence softwares like that, then that's great. It's all pre-recorded for you. Otherwise, there's always the option you can record it yourself and ask colleagues to record it for them and actually listen back to technique. Um, I did a little bit at the start because I was kind of just told that I should and it was a good idea <laughs> and without really understanding why. Um, and definitely recently, the more you listen back, the more you understand, even from yourself, why something goes terribly wrong um, yeah. or terribly right for that matter. Um, I think that's definitely a big thing, kind of listening back to, to calls um, and definitely at the start of your, your SDR career, because that's where you're going to have the most mistakes, the most things that screw up <laughs> and therefore <laughs> the most things you can learn from. Um, yeah. Secondly, and I guess I touched upon it about five minutes ago from an emotional intelligence perspective. Um, focus more on understanding the prospect as opposed to understanding your product. Mm. So to kind of reiterate, to kind of reword that slightly, instead of focusing so much on what can my product do for my prospects, what benefits can they see? They can see 200% ROI over the course of a 10-year contract or whatnot. Um, I would have loved to spend more time understanding why a prospect might even want to engage me in the first place. Not necessarily from a kind of internal perspective, but even just from a personal perspective, just by talking mm -hmm. to prospects, talking to customers, um, especially at the start. And I think you mentioned it um, quite well at the start of this call as well. If you go in with that idea of, hey, look, how do I, how do I sell to people like you and be quite transparent and, and quite honest about it, they yeah. could almost turn into opportunities themselves without you probably particularly wanting them to at the start at that point. Um, so that's, I think, the, the second one. Um, and yeah, biggest one. Go for it. I'm yeah. waiting. I'm eagerly waiting, mate. Again, yeah. I think the biggest one is kind of linked to that. It's just be genuinely curious. Um, if I want to say it in two words. And I think a lot of this then helps your personal life as well. I mean, fine, be curious. Help kind of your prospects basically understand what they're going through. Because more often than not, especially from my experience, they haven't got a clue what problems they have until you can help them work through them. And I guess part of that is kind of the, the job of the BDR, right? It's, it's mm. going through that process of helping them understand the problems and then creating the problems. And then once they've got problems, then they've got, you've got the solution. Part of the job. But if you can genuinely um, kind of be curious and, and understand why, and that's in, in all parts of the job, both that and self-improvement as well from, from a, just generally trying to get better. Um, and that I think is by far the biggest thing, the, the biggest kind of differentiator any, any BDR can have, at least in my eyes. I think those are three solid silver bullets of advice, Corey, and I really appreciate you sharing that with the listeners. Um, and as we kind of come to the end of this podcast, I just wanted to know for the listeners out there, if they wanted to reach out to you to connect to either chat or to get some advice, what's the best way to get in touch with yourself, Corey? Uh, easiest way is probably LinkedIn. 
I'm always on there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> literally where I live. Um, yeah, so Corey Lindsay, I think, will, will pop up, and otherwise, Corinton Lindsay um, with my my full name. Perfect. I'll make sure I get those in the show notes. And is there any uh, special things that you're up to, like on social, like any webinars or anything that's upcoming that the, the guys might be finding useful to to jump into? Uh, at the moment, not excessive amounts. Um, there's been a lot of webinars over the course of lockdown. I think almost an overdose <laughs> um, <laughs> from, from all aspects of marketing and sales. I feel like at the moment, there's been a bit of a, a quieter period. Um, so right now, I'm first taking the time just to kind of reflect a little bit on the summer and then getting ready for the moment. It's early September, um, looking at kind of when we can actually kind of get going again, because again, business is going to get going pretty quick, um, especially yeah. how um, summer's now over, um, or at least getting over. Um, so I'm kind of preparing myself more for the uh, the upcoming, hopefully, surge of business. <laughs> Cannot wait. <laughs> So, Corey, I just wanted to say a massive thank you um, for joining the SDR Disco Call podcast. We hope that you'll be coming back as a future guest, um, as we know that you are transitioning potentially into uh, future endeavors and roles. So it'd be really interesting to see kind of like how things have progressed. But, uh, Corey, just wanted to say thank you so much and uh, happy selling, my man. Thank you, Neil. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the SDR Disco Call podcast today. We would like to get this message out to more and more sales development reps, so please like, comment, and share in your local podcast provider. If you don't want to miss a show, you can always send a blank email to sdrdiscocall, one word, at bcast, which is b-c-a-s-t dot email, and you'll be added to our mailing list. We're also on the lookout for new guests, so if you work in the world of sales development as an SDR BDR, MDR, or ADR, and feel that you have an important message or story to share, feel free to email us at podcast at happyselling.io, and we'd love to have you on board.